Thank you for joining us here today at Calvary Church, where we are committed to loving God and loving people. If you have any questions or want to learn more about who we are, visit us online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, Steve McDonald. Today we conclude our Come and See message series leading up to Easter as we discover what effective evangelism and discipleship really look like as modeled through the life of Jesus when he walked the earth. Now, this week is your last opportunity to invite your family, your friends, your neighbors, your bus driver, your barista, whoever is out there, invite them to come to church. Invite them to join us on uh, one of our Good Friday communion services, as well as our uh, family breakfast that returns this year. You can buy tickets online or buy them at the door as well, so we're excited about that. And then invite them, of course, to our Easter Sunday celebrations. So two services on Good Friday, two on Easter Sunday, uh, and we'd love to, to see you there and to see your guests. And, of course, for those of you joining us on our online campus, our broadcast, our live broadcast continues at 9 a.m. right here. And we'd love for you to, to join us for that as well. And uh, if you're uh, active on socials, jump on there and share one of our invitations uh, with your followers. And if you're not into that, that's fine. Text somebody, call somebody, knock on their door, do whatever you have to do to invite them to church this weekend. Of course, you can also watch the services again anytime after it's concluded on our on-demand, on our, U- our YouTube channel, so tune in there. You'll love that as well. And uh, if you need to buy advance tickets or find any other information about Easter, jump over to calvary.ca, our website, and you'll get all the information there. All right, just want to welcome you today to this Palm Sunday especially all of you that are our guests here today. Say hello in the chat. Let us know where you're joining us from. If you're here in the house, fill out one of our blue welcome home cards, and we'd love to send you a, a, a gift and just to honor you for being with us today. You know, I, I just always feel like the days leading up to Easter are, are kind of uh, days filled with renewed hope. Spring's in the air. The sun is out again. And I just feel like it's a time uh, of new possibilities in our lives. And as Christ followers, uh, Easter, even more than Christmas, represents that defining foundational moment of our faith when Jesus paid the ultimate price for the forgiveness of our sins, the fulfillment of the greatest recorded miracle in all of history. And after Jesus laid down his life for us, even the finality of death and the grave couldn't hold him down. He gave up his life so that you and I could pick ours up and live it to the fullest. And he triumphed over the absolute worst that the world could throw at him, providing a miraculous path to new life. And his triumphant entry uh, uh, into Jerusalem today marks the beginning of a week that would literally change everything. Palm Sunday is a day when we celebrate him as Messiah, the the Savior, the Deliverer, and the King. He's the hope of Israel and the hope of our lives. But what's the story before the story? If we back it up just a little bit, what led to this celebration fit for a king with everyone waving those palm branches? What did the days leading up to this moment look like? Well, if we 
back things up just a bit in the story, just prior to, to Palm Sunday, we see a pivotal back-to-life moment where Jesus gave a good friend of his a second chance at life. Now, there's 37 recorded miracles of Jesus in the Bible. That means there's 37 times where Jesus did something that could only be attributed to God at work as a testimony of his power. But the Apostle John also tells us in John 21-25 that Jesus did many other things. He did many other miracles as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. So we know there was many more miracles. But out of all of those miracles that we know about, I think the most jaw-dropping of all of them had to have been the three times that, that Jesus gave life back to someone who was dead. Three times when Jesus refused to accept that, that death was irreversible and gave someone a completely new chance. Now, for most of us, bringing the dead back to life is a little hard for us to get our head around because death seems so final. You know, I have attended and conducted many funerals and memorials over the years, and seeing someone who once was but now is no more here on earth is absolutely heartbreaking, especially for those that, that we love so dearly which makes these three miracles that Scripture tells us about uh, so significant. To understand that not only did this have a huge effect on the person who didn't, uh, uh, you know, wasn't breathing anymore and now was, but imagine the families and how they were impacted. The first one is uh, the son of a widow from Nain, a village in northern Israel about nine miles south of Nazareth. Now, Luke accounts for this back-to-life moment when Jesus and his disciples literally get caught up in a, in a funeral procession. They had a, a frame that they were carrying the body out on, and people were wailing and, and crying. And so they literally kind of merged with what was happening. You know, as a widow in first-century Israel, it's likely that she would have relied heavily on her son for support. And so it not only affects her as a, as a mother, losing her only son, but it affects her well-being moving forward. So Jesus is moved with, with compassion. And, and Luke says in Luke 7, uh, 13, that his, his heart went out to her. And he said to her, don't, don't cry. Then Jesus touched the frame of uh, of. Uh, the, the people were holding, that was holding the body, touches it and leans in and says to the young man, get up. <laughs> and, and immediately he, he sits up, turning this funeral procession into a parade. And people go ballistic because from wailing to laughing, it was a quick change when Jesus stepped in and intervened. Now the second back to life moment happens when Jesus and his disciples are in an area of Israel called uh, the Garrisons in Luke 8, when he encounters Jairus' daughter. Now, this was a very different come-and-see moment. Jairus was a, a synagogue leader, and his daughter was very sick. As a matter of fact, she was dying. 
And he was so desperate, you can imagine, as a father, his only daughter. Interesting, isn't it? The first one was the widow's only son. Now it's Jairus' only daughter, setting up for what's to come with God's only son. But he was so desperate to, to, to save her that he was willing to risk his reputation and position to somehow get to this miracle worker, to come and see his only daughter. But by the time they get back to his house, after all the people were pressing from one side to another, Jesus was healing other people. By the time they made it back to the house, it was, it was too late. His daughter had died, and they could hear crying coming from the house. Again, moved with great compassion, Jesus steps in. Now, throughout our series, our Come and See series, we've been using scenes with permission from a great series called The Chosen from Angel Studios. And it's helped to kind of bring some of these moments to life. So let's take a, let's take a look at and maybe have a quick glimpse of what this moment may have looked like. Between you and her, it's quite the big day of faith. It's just up ahead. Mm. Do you hear that? No. What is this? Jairus, while you were gone. No. Why do I hear mourners and flutes? I said not to do that. She Your was daughter sick. daughter passed away. We had to make arrangements quickly. No. No. I went to find the teacher. He was going to heal her. I know who you are. Let's not trouble him anymore. Michal is with Nelly's body. No! No! I was getting Jesus! I went as fast as I could. Do not be afraid. Only believe. She will be well. Jairus. Jairus! Let's go in. Please stay here. We will. She will be well. Michal. Where were you? I was finding this man. She is dead and you were gone. Why would you just leave us like this? Trust me. Please trust me and trust him. For what? For what? Please, please, please. I know. No. No. Please. 
You know, everything changed for this family when Jesus said to, to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, just believe. That's good words for all of us. Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed, Luke eight fifty. Then he spoke life into death when he said to the girl, my child, get up, get up. And the Bible says that she stood up. Today, I believe he's saying the same thing to some of you. Get up. Get up again. You can do this. I'm with you as you go and share the good news with others. Which brings us to our third back-to-life moment. And to someone I mentioned earlier who was a friend of Jesus. Now, the story of Lazarus takes place in Bethany to the east of Jerusalem, a a place that Jesus actually knew very well. And he was very close to a family that was there, Lazarus' family. Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, and only John records this come-and-see story, but in some detail. Let's look at it together. In John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 through 6, it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus saying, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. I think it's interesting here that they don't even send a message to say Lazarus is sick. They say your dear friend, which gives us kind of an idea of how close they really were. And I think that when they sent this message to Jesus, they were probably expecting him to drop everything he was doing and run to help them because of how close he was. But it says when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not lead to death. Well, not ultimately. He may have to die to live, but in the end, he will live. Why? Jesus says, for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus, listen to this, this is another very interesting point. Although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next few days. Now wait a minute, that seems a little odd to me. He loved them so much, he didn't come and help them right away. He stayed where he was for a couple of extra days. Jesus wasn't in a rush. Jesus was never in a rush. You see, because this wasn't about Martha's timing or Mary's timing or even Lazarus's timing. It was about the timing of Jesus. And it's very important that we understand that. His timing is not our timing. Early on in my faith, when I was so excited about Jesus and what he had done in my life, I, I would get frustrated sometimes because when I would tell my friends or family members and was excited to see how they received it, I was kind of frustrated when they didn't change overnight, right? I was expecting it to happen so quickly or for people to embrace it with the, the same excitement that I did. 
you know, sometimes that waiting for answered prayer can be, can be brutal. But someone much wiser than me at the time would always tell me his timing is not our timing. Now, honestly, in the moment, it didn't really make me feel much better. But deep inside, I knew it was true. I knew it was true just like Mary and Martha knew it was true. Greg uh, Laurie once said, know this, God's delays are not necessarily his denials. So keep praying. Keep praying. You see, ultimately, Mary and Martha trusted Jesus But it still didn't stop them as human beings from thinking, oh man, if he had only come sooner, if he had only showed up sooner. Then jump down in the same chapter, John 11 to verse 23, and it says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Oh yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. You see, Martha was thinking about that someday moment. But Jesus was talking about the someday and the today. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe it? You see, when Jesus and the disciples finally did arrive in this moment, Lazarus had been dead for for four days. And hopelessness was kind of settling in. His sisters and and his friends were now mourning his death. It was the end of the line. That's what death meant to them in that moment. And there was plenty of tears to go around, and Jesus was included in that. I think it's important to understand that as we reach out with the good news, as we develop disciples, as we reach people with the same life-changing message that has changed us, that we do so with compassion, that we identify with where people are and what they are going through, as Jesus did with with those he came in contact with. And here in this moment with his friends, in verse 33, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come And see, Lord, they replied. And then the Bible says in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. We see this moment of heartfelt compassion. Why? Because his friend had died. Because the people that he loved were hurting in this moment. And see, in his life, he understood that they thought that this was the end of the story. Now, interestingly enough, the the Hebrew word for Lazarus here is Eleazar, which means the one God has helped. I think his parents named him very well, almost prophetic. And I think we can all identify with the the daily, minute-by-minute need for God's help in our lives. And then in verse 43, after they rolled the stone away, Jesus shouted out to his friend, Lazarus, come out! And his friend was miraculously brought back to life, giving God the glory. Listen, today Jesus is shouting out your name to come out of depression, come out of sickness and addiction, to come out of that toxic relationship that is just pulling you down. 
to move past a place of fear and shame, to see those around you uh, that you're sharing the love of Christ with, uh, to see them reached as God fuels your, your passion to, to let them know the good news. He's calling to the Lazarus in you to come back to life. So three different moments, three different people, three different sets of circumstances, but all linked together as those who he chose to bring back to life. And by doing so, he transformed their lives, obviously. They had another chance at living. He, he transformed their families. You can imagine how it impacted them when they were mourning the loss of a loved one and now celebrating their return. You see, through these life-giving miracles, we can all be mentored by the Master and learn more about effectively reaching others with compassion, with faith, and with hope. And whatever it is that you're facing today, no matter how impossible it seems, it's likely not as bad as, as the widow's son or Jairus' daughter or Lazarus. Now, that's not by any means to diminish the challenges that you and I are facing today, but to encourage you that the same Jesus that brought them all back to life can also bring life to the dead areas within you if you ask him. You see, the resurrection of Lazarus fueled the excited crowds that, that shouted Hosanna on that Palm Sunday. But we also know that this parade was inching ever closer to Calvary's cross. You see, Lazarus's death and resurrection actually foreshadowed the death and resurrection of Jesus and the back-to-life miracle that is still changing people's lives today. So let me leave you with a, a few important come-and-see takeaways from Jesus' back-to-life encounter with Lazarus and these others. The first was that, that God renews dead dreams. You know, what seems to be dead in you and in the lives of those that you're reaching out to is really an opportunity for God to, to breathe new life into it again. What seems like the end is actually the beginning. You know, when Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told by many people, it's, it's too late. He's gone. It's, it's, it's too late. It's over. But he basically was saying it's not over until I say it's over. He will rise. Listen to me. Your dreams will rise again. Your body will rise in health again. Your, your business will rise again. Your mental health will rise again. You just need to trust him. So the message in the mess of our lives is this, that, is that when Jesus speaks to the dead areas within you, his unstoppable love and power can bring them back to life Again, he wants to do something so transformative in your life that you'll then go and compel others to come and see what he's done. Number two, God is compassionate. We see that in all of these accounts. No matter what you're, you're going through today, we serve a God who cares about what we care about. So whatever those needs are, take them to him. He's the only one that can bear that kind of weight. You see, Jesus wasn't some kind of robotic deity who floated from town to town handing out miracles like it was some kind of cosmic vending machine. No. You see, Jesus, 
he, he connected, he understood, he was compassionate. When Jesus saw his friends hurting, he was deeply troubled. And then in verse 35 of chapter 11, it says he, he wept. Jesus wept. Even though he had the power and knew what was going to happen, he was still hurting for those that are hurting. We don't serve a, a distant and despondent God, but a God who came down and lived just like you and I lived so that he could meet us right where we are today. Our God is compassionate, and he loves you. That's the truth. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and he loves you today. And then finally, God provides freedom through faith. You know, people can find themselves in some ridiculously tough and complicated situations. Some of us have been in some of those places. But the truth is, is that he meets us there. And in our bondage and the things that tie us up, he offers freedom. And some of those times it looks like, man, there's no coming back from, from this one. Jesus has the final word in all of that. We need to know that no matter how hopeless it seems, that Jesus said in John 11:40 that you would see God's glory, that you would experience freedom if you believe. Your freedom from whatever it is you're facing is not tied to the state or the seriousness of your situation, but rather the state of your faith and his ability to change things. Not our faith that's resting in our own ability, but completely in his. You see, today you need to settle deep in your heart that God wants you to be free. And when he says, get up, nothing, absolutely nothing will hold you down. He's always calling something forth within our lives. So come and see is really a call back to life. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for resurrection life. We thank you that you've brought us to life and given us eternity as our future. That no matter where we've come from, Lord, you've given us hope. You've given us freedom from the things that have held us back. You've renewed our dreams. You've given us that freedom through the faith that we have in your ability to do it. So we pray for everyone today that as we reach out to friends and invite them to, to, to come to church online, to come in person, to hear the gospel. It's not about just joining a church or being a part of a religious system. It's about introducing people to the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.